of it in old New York. If I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. It's up to you, New York, New York. Hi, folks. Today's podcast is brought to you by FantasyAces.com the premier destination for daily fantasy sports and home to incredible once-in-a-lifetime big-ticket live championship finals for pro and college football, baseball, and basketball. Join FantasyAces.com today and claim your 200% first-time deposit bonus with promo code 4 for 4 That's 4-F-O-R-4. Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast presented by 4 for 4 Football. It's week 10 in the NFL. I'm 4 for 4's senior DFS editor, Chris Raybon. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, 4 for 4's TJ Hernandez. What's going on, TJ? What's up, Chris? Uh, doing good. Just ready to, to get this week 10. We're already in double-digit weeks, man. So, uh Half all over halfway through the season, it's almost done. Time flies, man. Uh, we got a lot to get to today, but I do want to mention the song that played us in was "New York, New York" by Frank Sinatra off his 1980 album trilogy, "Past, Present, Future." Thought that was appropriate in light of the recent goings on in the DFS industry. So, anything to add there, TJ? No, I mean. It's it sucks that we had to bring the mood down a little bit, move from rap to the Frank Sinatra just because of what's going on. But, uh, I mean, without getting into too much speculation of, of what's going on across the DFS industry, I don't think uh, the Attorney General shutting down uh, DFS in any state can be a, a positive per se. But I think it is encouraging that DraftKings is willing to fight it. Uh, I think that means that... Uh, they know something probably that we don't. Um, there, there have been a lot of positive signs since the, you know, skies falling days of a couple weeks ago. Uh, I'm I'm not too worried about the long term health of DFS, but you know it's never exciting to see stuff like this happening, especially when people we know and talk to across the industry or live in New York. Fandle offices are in New York, so. I mean, they're not thinking about. There's jobs to be lost here. You know, people's livelihoods are at stake. They just see a quote-unquote gambling thing going on. But there's people making an honest living, working their asses off. So, you know, hopefully, nothing too bad comes of it. Definitely, and you know, all I'll say is, check my Twitter feed from Wednesday. I said all I had to say there. I'm not going to say anything more. Let's move on. If you listened last week. You know that we had a free DFS subscription giveaway, a free 4 for 4 DFS subscription giveaway on last week's show for those who rated and reviewed the pod between last week and this week. And the winner of this week's free 4 for 4 DFS subscription is Mon23Mon. I think I'm saying that right. That's M-O-N-2-3-M-O-N. 
So, Mon23Mon, please email DFSMVP at 444.com to get your free 444 DFS subscription. Again, congratulations, Mon23Mon. Please contact DFSMVP at 444.com to claim your free subscription. And we will have another giveaway. It's going to be the same as last week. Rate and review the podcast. Go to iTunes, type in DFS MVP, and our pod will come up. Rate and review it, and a winner will be chosen at random and announced on the Week 11 edition of DFS MVP. Now, let's jump right into some Week 8 takeaways. I want to talk about something that I have become increasingly aware of this season. I wrote about it in my FanDuel hindsight column this week. That's on 444.com if you want to check it out. It's a free article. But it bears repeating what I wrote. So I'm actually going to go ahead and just read a portion of it right here on the podcast. And I wrote, there is no need to avoid certain pairings of players on the same team just because they have a slightly negative correlation. In the Sunday Million, that's the FanDuel Sunday Million, many entrants rostered D'Angelo Williams or Antonio Brown separately, but not many rostered them together, presumably because of the slightly negative correlation between a team's running back one and wide receiver one. However, there are situations when Brown and Williams or any RB1 and wide receiver one playing well can have a synergistic effect on both players. Every time Brown or Williams, for example, picks up good yardage and moves the chains, the new set of downs means more opportunities in the form of at least three more chances for both players to continue to rack up fantasy stats. By the same token, every yard that the running back or wide receiver gains moves the team closer to the end zone. The closer to the end zone that a play starts, the higher the likelihood of a touchdown for every member of the offense that's on the field. So although Williams and Brown technically cannibalize each other's touchdown upside, both players are much more likely to each hit pay dirt on a team that totals, for example, five touchdowns in a given game, as Pittsburgh did, then one player is likely to hit pay dirt on a team that scores only two touchdowns. The negative correlation between running back and wide receiver, which is negative .07, and that's a very slight, so slight that it's almost completely irrelevant. Furthermore, blindly avoiding all negatively correlated pairings also fails to account for salary and value. For example, if you like a running back and wide receiver on the same team and they're both minimum priced, would you think twice about rostering them? Probably not. You'd intuitively know that even though the players have a slight negative correlation, it would be pre- pretty easy excuse me, for both of them to return great value given their individual price points. And that's exactly what happened with Williams and Brown. Sure, Williams' upside was capped in that he couldn't produce on any of the 25 plays that went to Brown. And Brown's upside was capped in that he couldn't produce on any of the 31 that went to Williams. However, the point at which their upside was capped in both cases was way beyond what you needed from each of them to return value. So that's just something that I wanted to talk about because 
It's something that I noticed. Um, Williams and Brown were in a lot of winning GPP lineups. Uh, we saw this before this season with D'Angelo Williams and Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown. I believe it was against San Francisco. We saw it with um, Julio Jones and Devontae Freeman against Dallas. All these guys uh, perceived negative correlations kind of kept people from putting the, a lot of people from putting them in the same lineups but when an offense has a great day an outlier type of performance which is really what you're looking for in a tournament that slight negative correlation that negative point zero seven is not really going to matter so that's just my main takeaway from uh week number nine tj what do you have to add um, I mean, that's all really good stuff. I just want to to touch back on a point that you made in, in that discussion. Um, you said the point at which the, uh, a player's upside is capped in these cases is beyond what you need from each of those players to return value. So uh, the theoretic principle that their upside is capped, well, yeah, that is very true. But, I mean, if, you know, just sim- sim- uh, simple terms, if, a, if two players' upside is capped at 35 DraftKings points or forty DraftKings points, then that's that's a that's a pretty good cap. Uh, exactly. So that's that's a really really good point at the end. Um, I think a lot of people misapply that. And just in a similarly uh, related concept, it's something we've talked about a bunch this year, and it's really been the theme of you know the the football season as far as GPPs go. Uh, last week just continued to reinforce the positive correlations that passing games can have on each other. Uh, you talked a lot last week and in past weeks about the uh, percentage chance of um, quarterbacks having good games when the opposing quarterback has a good game. I did some digging on my own this week uh, just because it's a concept I've been, you know, putting a lot of money in, especially in GPPs and even in some cash games this year. Um, on FanDuel, for example, there have been 38 instances that a quarterback has scored 25-plus uh, FanDuel points. In 63% of those games, the opposing quarterback has scored at least 20 FanDuel points, uh, posting an average of 22.8 FanDuel points. So in two two out of three games, when one quarterback is scoring 25-plus uh, points, the other quarterback is is scoring at least 20. So regardless of their salaries, we can almost, you know, we can assume that a fair percentage of the time that uh, both quarterbacks are probably going to hit value if you're, if you're putting up 20 FanDuel points. So I thought that was a really interesting number. That's a pretty high percentage there, two out of three times. Um, so that's something we saw, you know, that happened obviously with the Raiders-Steelers game, uh, which was, you know, the game to target. So just continue looking for those high-scoring games, especially if um, the spread is is relatively close. That means both teams are expected to score a lot of points. Uh, so just keep note of that. But you know, speaking of quarterback correlations, we'll just jump right into our picks for the week. Chris, we'll start with you. Uh, what quarterbacks do you got for Week Ten? Sure. And by the way, uh, really great research there. I uh, really enjoyed that. That was uh that's something I think just to go off on a quick tangent, I think people I know we talk about DraftKings and FanDuel a lot, but mm-hmm. people playing on some of the other sites, uh Fantasy Aces, Fantasy Feud, uh, a lot of the two quarterback sites, that's some really useful yeah, information yeah. to you can stack uh both quarterbacks in the same game and yeah, do it that Even way. Cash. Right. And uh that's also something to think about just in terms of building your player pool if you are you can 
pretty much build a player pool around games instead of individual players in 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 the passing game sometimes you can see that, that would have worked brilliantly uh these last two weeks yeah. uh, two weeks ago giant saints and then last week with steelers raiders so really great stuff there but uh quarterbacks this week let's start with aaron Rodgers, high end 9200 on FanDuel, 7500 on DraftKings going against the Detroit Lions. Rodgers has just really played a lot better throughout his career at Lambeau Field. He's averaging a lot more fantasy production at home than he is on the road. Randall Cobb had a shoulder injury for most of the year. Devontae Adams had an ankle injury for most of the year. They appear to be over those nagging injuries. So now makes a good time to buy in on Rodgers. The Lions defense is ranked in the bottom five in terms of fantasy points per game allowed. Uh, Rodgers' price is down on both FanDuel and DraftKings. The Packers have a Vegas implied total of 29.5. Rodgers has accounted for 83% of Packers' offensive touchdowns. So Rodgers has that 3-4-5 touchdown upside. Uh, and this is a game where I know the Packers offense has really been struggling and we always talk about these get well games and you know Rodgers being the competitor that he is Randall Cobb being the competitor that he is he's been upset with his performance as well you know these guys want to get right and Detroit really provides a good opportunity for them to do that so Aaron Rodgers is a Really good high-end play, especially on DraftKings where he comes at a significant discount to Tom Brady if you're looking to go that route with a high-end quarterback. Now, the next guy is a guy I really like this week. I'll probably have him in a lot of cash games where if you said that before week one, you probably think I was crazy. But Blake Bortles, <laughs> he is 7,800 on FanDuel, 5,600 on DraftKings at Baltimore Quietly been a top 10 fantasy quarterback this season. The Ravens defense is allowing the fourth most passing yards per game at 283.9. The third highest quarterback rating at 106.9. Blake Bortles has thrown for multiple touchdowns in six of eight games. He's averaging 274.1 passing yards and 2.1 passing touchdowns per game. Those are really good numbers. And that's why he's a top 10 fantasy quarterback. And something that is underrated is, this is the NFL. Everybody's going to have bad games. So what's good about Bortles is both of his poor fantasy outings have come in predictable situations. One was against Carolina. They have a really good defense. And the other was against Buffalo, who also has a very good defense, albeit not as consistent as we probably thought they would be this season. But that's always something really underrated to look at I know a lot of people tend to look at game logs and you might see a couple of duds in there and you get scared off by a guy but if those duds come in predictable situations against good defenses or if it's a receiver if they come against just a good cornerback that's valuable because that tells you that you can have a good read on this player and you know when to use him and when not to so something to think about there and then if we're talking about tournaments because I would not play him in cash but if we're talking about tournaments Kirk Cousins is 6,500 on FanDuel 5,200 on DraftKings going against the New Orleans Saints now a lot of people were expecting some cheap fantasy production from Cousins last week against the Patriots due to an inevitable Redskins deficit in that game but it didn't come to fruition 
if you want to check out some plays from that game, you can also check my Twitter timeline from Wednesday. I posted about three videos of just egregious drops by Redskins players. They dropped over a half dozen balls in that game. Did not help Cousins out at all. He played well. Good ball placement. Seems to be playing a better lately. His team isn't helping him at all. But what's really interesting about this game is that the Redskins average 19.8 points per game this season. That's 28th in the NFL. However, this week at home, the Redskins have a Vegas implied total of nearly 25. So that's saying that Vegas does see the Redskins playing a lot better at home. They see those just I don't even know how many drops they ended up being, but it tells you that they see those regressing to the mean, that they don't see them dropping as many balls this week, and that that Saints defense is really that bad. And the Saints defense has been horrible. Uh, Marcus Mariota pretty much won people a lot of money last week playing against the Saints. Eli Manning did the same thing. The week before, the Saints ranked 32nd in quarterback rating, 112.6, 31st in the league in touchdown percentage at 7.4%, and 30th in passing yards per game at 292.2. The Patriots defense was middle of the road. New Orleans is just bad. So, Kirk Cousins, wouldn't trust him in cash games because, again, the Redskins could come out and just keep dropping more passes, but... In tournaments, I think he's a very inexpensive option that could surprise a lot of people. So, um, anything to add there, TJ? <clears throat> no, I mean, I think those are the guys that that really stand out to me as well. Um, as far as Kirk Cousins goes, um, I, I don't have, have the numbers on this, so this is just, you know, uh, a rough observation on my part. But um, we talk a lot about players performing well and then being highly on the next week. I, I don't think that correlation is quite as high when it comes to opposing defenses. So, for example, the Saints have been basically telling us to play a quarterback against them. <clears throat> we saw him get roasted by Eli and then followed up with a horrible game against uh, Mariota. I think the public will still shy away from Kirk Cousins just because he's Kirk Cousins uh, rather than take advantage of that Saints mashup. So uh, obviously we'll find out when you uh, put your ownership outlook column out, but I suspect that Kirk Cousins will still be low-owned just because of who he is um, despite the great, great matchup. Uh, so that's something maybe we can dive deeper to um, you know, later in the season, see how much, how much the public is actually paying attention to matchups rather than just players. Um, but moving on to running backs, um, the guy that stands out the most to me is a guy we've already touched on uh, today, D'Angelo Williams. Uh, despite a price hike, he's up you know, roughly $1,000 on both sites. I still consider D'Angelo to be a relative value, um, a, a metric that I talk about that I look at quite a bit, especially when it comes to running backs, is uh is dollar per touch rather than dollar per point just because point projections can be so fragile where we can predict those touches pretty accurately. Um, in his three starts this season, D'Angelo has averaged 25 touches per game, which accounts for uh, 49% uh, touch share in those three games. Uh, he's also has 15 touches inside the 10-yard line, which is um, near the top of the league, I, I believe behind only three players, but he's all, like again he's only started three games and still has 15 touches inside the 10, and he's converted 33% of those touches into touchdowns. Now, 
Chris Ivory is the only back with 10 plus touches inside the 10 that's been more efficient at converting those touches into touchdowns. So when D'Angelo does get the ball, he's been able to to find the end zone. And I think we should see more of those opportunities this week. Uh, the Steelers are favored by four and a half at home versus the Browns, who rank 26 in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. And Cleveland has uh, allowed 5.8 yards per touch, not per, per rush, per touch to running backs, which is the second highest total in the league. Um, so not only volume, but we can expect some really high efficiency from D'Angelo this week. Uh, another guy that I really like who's kind of flown under the radar for most of the season and he's probably going to fly under the radar in this game just because of who the opposing running back is, is uh, Doug Martin versus the Cowboys. Um, Doug Martin is one of just eight backs in the main slate with uh, 20 plus touches per game, but he's only $6,700 on FanDuel and $5,600 on DraftKings, which prices him at 13th and 10th. Um, on FanDuel and DraftKings respectively, so he's barely priced inside the top 10 and well outside the top 10, despite being one of the top uh, uh, touch-getters in the league. Um, Only six running backs have more touches inside the 10-yard line. He has 13, and similar to D'Angelo, he has a a 31% conversion rate, uh, touches into touchdowns, which is a very, very uh, efficient number. And Tampa Bay's favored by two at home versus Dallas. Uh, Dallas is the only team in the main slate that's allowed five and a half yards per touch um, to running backs, and they've also allowed a touchdown on 4% of touches to running backs. Uh, The league average is a touchdown on 2.9% of running back touches, so that's a really, really big total, 4% of touches. So again, we can expect the... um, We can expect... Martin to have an efficient day, a high volume day against a team that uh, that allows very high efficiency to running backs. A guy I don't think we can ignore, just given the circumstances, is Legarrette Blunt. Now he's sixty nine hundred dollars on Fanduel. He's forty nine hundred dollars on DraftKings. Uh, with Deion Lewis out for the year, Legarrette Blunt is the only. Uh, running back in that backfield with a defined role now, and with New England favored by seven and a half points with the 31 um, point implied uh, implied point total of 31 points, we can expect Blunt to get those goal line touches. I don't think Deion Lewis's injury necessarily means a huge increase in workload for Blunt, but like I said, just having that defined role really counts for something, especially in this offense especially in a game where the Patriots are going to be up big and have a lot of scoring opportunities. Uh, so I don't want to ignore Blunt. He's probably someone I'm, I'm going to want to work in in both cash games and GPPs. And then a couple quick hitters, a couple sleepers. Sleepers. Um, um, I mentioned uh, the, the Tampa Bay-Dallas game. I think Doug Martin is the better play in this game, but on DraftKings, you really do have to take a hard look at Darren McFadden. The matchup isn't great, but he's only priced at $4,900, and in his starts, he's averaging 28.3 touches per game. That's a massive number, and over those starts, he's accounted for 55% of the Cowboys' touches, which is the highest uh, touch share in the league. And then if Eddie Lacy is out, um, he, he... Tweaked his growing, I believe, on Sunday. He's questionable right now. I don't know if he's going to play or not, but James Starks at $6,000 on FanDuel and $4,900 on DraftKings. Uh, Starks will become 
close to a must-play if Eddie Lacy is out at that price. Green Bay is favored by 11 at home, and Detroit is 25th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs, allowing a touchdown on a league-high 5% of running back touches. Um, so those are quite a few guys I'm looking at looking at, at running backs, so there's some really nice value options this week. Uh, Chris, you got anything to add to running backs? Yeah, I actually do have a couple of things. Um, okay. You mentioned McFadden. Yeah. Uh, and his matchup isn't great. He's actually produced very good numbers in two tougher matchups than Tampa, Seattle, yeah. and Philly. So I wouldn't even really be worried about McFadden. I actually like him more on DraftKings just because of his price. Yeah, um, his price is great on DraftKings. Right. And then on FanDuel, you know, I I, I like Martin more because I think on FanDuel, Martin's the cheaper one there. And he, yep. he's basically priced like we were all on uh, Langford and D'Angelo last week at 65 right. and 64 and Martin's at 67. So that's yeah. If he was, if Doug Martin was just a new shiny, shiny new toy starting running back, the, the whole industry would probably be on him this week. But it's yep. just because he's not, and his price has actually been dropping. That the recency bias people will be off him. So I, yeah. I really like they, him they are they are the home favorite in that game. So you mm-hmm. never want to sleep on that point. Right, and then um, oh, with well, with Lacey being out, I so today reports came that. Starks is the number one running back now. Um, yeah. That's what Mike McCarthy said. So yeah, I don't... he's still a good value even if Lacey plays. Right, yeah. And the final thing I wanted to mention was a guy, excuse me, that I really like this week is Mark Ingram. Mm-hmm. I, you mentioned earlier, TJ, about how people probably aren't going back to the well with defenses and targeting defenses that have right. been bad. And the Washington Redskins, I mean – I remember we were sitting here week three or four worried about Devontae Freeman against the Redskins. And wow, it's been a, ever since then, it's been a completely different story over the Redskins last four games, 734 rushing yards and 140 carries. That's 5.3 yards a carry, five touchdowns. The rushing lines against them in their last four games were 27, 100, 27 carries, 153 yards, and two scores for Devontae. 20 carries, 146 yards, and a score for Ivory. 19 carries and 136 for Martin. And then 29 carries, 129 yards, and a touch for the Garrett Blunt. So that's... that. Wow. Like, yeah. Ingram got 26 touches last week. He was on the field for 88% of the snaps. CJ Spiller got six snaps. So... You know, I think recency bias will have people off of Ingram because he didn't do too well with the amount of touches he got. But I really like him this week as a play. I think he's a great, great tournament play. I would even play him in cash games on um, on both sides, honestly. Yeah, it's a good call. Cool. So before we move on, I just want to remind listeners that we're already more than halfway through the NFL season, which means you only have a few more weeks to qualify for the $500,000 Fantasy Aces Football Championship Live Final. There are qualifiers every Sunday, and a total of 40 people will win seats to the Live Final on December 13th in Newport Beach, California. When you qualify, you get a $1,000 travel credit for you and a guest to fly to SoCal, where you'll stay three nights at the Balboa Bay Resort. Festivities start with a private harbor cruise, followed by a gourmet reception dinner. On Sunday, the live final VIP party features big screen TVs with every NFL game and endless food and drinks. 
Best of all, the winner takes home a $100,000 grand prize. So, do yourself a favor and try to qualify for the Fantasy Aces NFL Live Final. Trust me, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience and you'll thank me for the advice. Good luck and be sure to use promo code 4 for 4 that's the number 4, the letters F-O-R, and the number 4 for a 200% first-time deposit bonus. So let's go into wide receivers, and a guy I want to start with is Demarius Thomas, a guy we haven't talked too much about this year. He's 7,900 on FanDuel, he's 7,400 on DraftKings, going up against the Chiefs, who are last in fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. Thomas's price is down $900 on FanDuel and 1700 on DraftKings. He has one touchdown through eight games, and... That's more of a case of being on the wrong side of variance and a very volatile statistic than anything else. I know Peyton Manning has declined some, and of course I think that's playing a role, but still one touchdown in eight games, even for somebody with a below average quarterback, somebody of Thomas's caliber, that will regress. And just for example, two weeks ago, we were talking about Drew Brees and how he was in the top three in passing yardage, but outside the top 20 in passing touchdowns. Yeah. Well, over the last two weeks, he proceeded to throw 10 touchdowns. So yeah. Demarius Thomas in a similar situation. We could be sitting here next week and he could have a two touchdown game. He's third among receivers in targets per game, and he has five catches and 50 yards in every game. And TJ... I know there is a narrative street storyline here. You want to tell the listeners what's going on with DT? Yeah, I mean, I think you know like the the deep details of this, but the uh, the basic premise is uh, Demarius Thomas. His mother has never seen him play a football game. Uh, she's been in in prison for most of his life on which I I believe were, were drug trafficking charges. And I think uh, what you said a little bit of the background of the story is. Is basically there. There's like a chance that she shouldn't even have been in prison in the first place. But the point is, he's going to get to play in front of his mom this week for the first time in his life. Um, so if there's ever a narrative street reason for Demarius Thomas to just go off, uh, I mean, there's not a bigger reason than that. So um, big up to Demarius get to, getting to play in front of moms for the first time. And yeah, I think uh, I think that's the narrative street of the week. Yeah, and it's it's it it goes real deep. There's a great story about it. I believe it's an ESPN outside the line story. I will try to find it and post it in the article on 4 for 4 with the podcast. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to find it, but it basically talked about how Demarius and his mother were very close when he was young, and they used to actually run together, and I believe he credits her with being able to run really fast and so that's just another that that that's just another thing so it's not just you know his mom's is watching the game it's he his mom is really closely tied into his whole football career and yeah. um, you know i you know Peyton Manning too i remember earlier in his Denver career he always talked about how when one of his receivers had a down game he would always try to get them involved yeah. in the next game so everything really sets up perfectly from both a numbers standpoint but also a narrative street standpoint with Demarius Thomas i think you can play him in cash games on DraftKings because even when he doesn't score touchdowns he 
goes over 100 yards a fair amount of the time, and he usually catches eight, nine balls. So yeah. DraftKings, I like him. FanDuel, it's a little iffy just because if he doesn't get into the end zone, it's really hard to hit value at 7,900 without getting into the end zone. So uh, there, it's you, you could go either way with that, but DraftKings definitely would play him in cash games. Now, another guy in, in kind of a similar boat in terms of price just dropping precipitously is Randall Cobb. He is 7,700 on Fandle, 6,700 on DraftKings against the Detroit Lions. I already talked about Aaron Rodgers and how good of a matchup this is. Uh, Cobb's price is down 800 on Fandle and 1,300 on DraftKings from where it was when the season began. The Lions allowed the highest yards per attempt figure, which of course means the highest yards per target figure if you're looking at wide receivers in the league. And so that means Rodgers should have an efficient day. Cobb is likely to be his top target. The matchups just set up that way. Detroit's best corner is uh, Darius Slay. He plays on the outside, so he'll probably deal with James Jones and or Devontae Adams. And Cobb, even though he's been quiet lately, 7th in the NFL in red zone targets. And 7th in the NFL in red zone targets is valuable before you even add to the fact that Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback. So... Lot, a lot to like there with Randall Cobb. Probably will be low-owned or at least lower-owned than he should be just because coming off some rough games. I know he had a solid game last week, but only four catches, so not sure how much people will trust him this week. But really great price tag. I doubt it gets any lower than this, which means I'm really betting on him having a good game this week. And my next guy is a guy that I know you love almost every week, TJ. Uh, not Eric Decker, of course. He's on the Thursday no, slate, but <laughs> Allen Robinson. Yeah, my dude. One of yep. my two dudes, Decker and Robinson. <laughs> Robinson, this is just a great matchup for yes. him. Uh, he's 7500 on FanDuel. He's 6700 on DraftKings. So he's starting to be priced according to his production. I view him kind of as an 8K guy on FanDuel. I'm yeah. sure, sure he'll get there eventually. Uh, I mean, he and, is the best receiver in the league. <laughs> no, I mean, he's 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 good, man. He put up what a, it was 121 yards last week against the Jets, like quietly, very quietly. Yeah. So, um, you know, Allen Robinson, and this is again, I talked earlier about the value in being able to look at a player's game log and be able to say, okay, this guy had a down game, but that was predictable before the game started. And yeah. Robinson is another guy like that. He had. Predictable struggles in week one against my guy, Josh Norman. And then in week three against Bill Belichick and the Patriots. You know Bill Belichick tends to limit number one options. And Robinson is definitely that on the Jags. But besides that, Robinson has been money in the bank. He's caught at least six passes in four straight games. He has not been under 68 receiving yards since that week one game against Josh Norman. And the Ravens have allowed the most touchdowns and the second most fantasy points in the NFL to wide receivers. So it really doesn't get any better than Allen Robinson's matchup. You can stack him with Blake Bortles. I don't have any problem with that. It probably will be high owned, but the prices are still low. So it's not as bad as stacking, say, a high owned Brady and Gronkowski or Edelman where 
if they don't completely go nuts, the price tags are just so high that it's hard to overcome. Uh, Robinson and Bortles, really good price tag, great stack. And then another guy at a discount, a guy that we talked about, we have a 4 for 4 meeting uh, every week, and uh, you brought this guy up, and uh, I wasn't too big on him when you first mentioned him, but... I did more research, and I definitely came around on him, and that's Kamar Aiken on the Baltimore Ravens. He's 5,400 on FanDuel, 4,500 on DraftKings. He will replace Steve Smith as the Ravens' number one wide receiver. And what really made me come around on him was I didn't realize when I watched this game, probably because I was paying attention more to the Chargers and uh, trying to prepare for their uh, Monday night matchup against the Bears last week, but in the Ravens-Chargers game, once Steve Smith went down, Kamar Aiken put up five catches for 59 yards in about 17 yeah. minutes of game time without Smith. And so that shows that Kamar Aiken, double-digit target upside in this game. Uh, the Ravens have a 27-point Vegas total, which is a little bit surprising even against the Jags, considering their pretty much best offensive option and Steve Smith is out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that means Vegas expects... Baltimore keep on humming. Twenty-seven point. You don't get to twenty-seven points without throwing the ball. So this is a good matchup for Aiken against the Jaguars. The Jaguars really do not have anyone in the secondary that has difference-making talent. They're pretty talent deficient in the secondary. So I don't think there's anyone that can really shut Aiken down. I'm sure they'll pay attention to him, but he'll just based on volume alone and his price tag, he should be able to at least pay it off with upside for more and then tj i know you had some thoughts on alshon jeffrey yeah i mean the matchup isn't great for jeffrey this week against the rams but i mean his his price just still isn't uh reflecting his volume of production we saw him put up over 150 yards on double digit catches last week uh he and deandre hopkins are the only two receivers averaging over 13 targets per game uh but alshon's priced outside the top 10 so you know just take a look at him i mean you know the matchup's not good. It, it it might prevent him from being a GPP play, but again, just volume relative to price. We always want to be very very price sensitive when it comes to our DFS lineups. So Alshon's someone you have to take a good hard look at. Um, just quickly, I want to mention you you talked about Demarius and his touchdown regression. Uh, there are currently nineteen. Um, wide receivers that account for at least 20% of their team's red zone uh, market share. And out of those receivers, only um, only Mike Evans and, and Demarius haven't turned one of those targets into a red zone touchdown. Uh, now, the league average usually hovers around 23% conversion rate, uh, wide receiver targets into touchdowns, and Demarius's uh, career average is slightly above that. He's about right at around 24.5%. Uh, so we can expect some some of those red zone targets to turn into touchdowns. And then uh, you mentioned the high high Vegas total for the Ravens. Uh, you know, Vegas totals are very important to look at, but it's always important not to think in absolute terms. In relative terms, it's very important. Um, that that Vegas total puts, puts the... Um, Ravens as one of just four teams with a Vegas projection at least three points over their season point-per-game average. So, like you said, despite uh, no Steve Smith, Vegas is expecting them to put up, uh, I mean, three points is a decent number. That's 
almost you know another red zone trip if they're expecting them to score another field goal so another scoring opportunity uh, relative to what they've been doing this year so obviously more scoring opportunities is going to be good for any offense and um, um just uh one more thing with Aiken you know we're high on Bortles and uh, Robinson this week, yeah. and Aiken is that correlated play yes, yes. in that game. So, and you know, Alan Hearns. I know a lot of people are going to be on Alan Hearns too. I don't like his price on Fanduel just because it's like two hundred yeah, less than expensive. Robinson's. Yeah, and you know, I think he's been living dangerously with a low, relatively low amount of targets. But you know, he produces. He's a good receiver, and uh, you know, so that's a that's a situation where you know Robinson, Hearns, Aiken potentially Julius Thomas, uh, potentially even a guy like Crockett Gilmore. You know, these are this game could have it could be similar to the Pittsburgh Oakland game last week mm-hmm. where, you know, there's just just two bad defenses. And yep. when there's two bad defenses, you got to keep throwing and yeah. it's it's not definite, but it's very possible that that happens again. So, definitely something to look out for. Yeah, so um you know, that wraps it up for wide receivers. Just jumping into tight ends, I mean, it's always the discussion, is it a Gronk week or is it not a Gronk week? Um, I think if there's ever been a Gronk week, this is it. Uh, there, There's enough value at running back, enough value at wide receiver this week that I think even if you do pay up for a quarterback, that you can still afford Gronk. Uh, if you can save at running back, obviously you want to pay up for a pass catcher. If I am going to pay up for a pass catcher, I think Gronk is generally the best one to pay up for just because he gives you such a huge advantage over the other players at his position. Uh, Gronk has 15 red zone targets on the year, and he'll be playing against a Giants team that ranks 30th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. We already talked about the Patriots' high uh, Vegas total. Uh, 71% of the Patriots' red zone touchdowns have come via the pass, and Gronk has accounted for 25% of the Patriots' red zone targets. Uh, No team has more red zone plays than the Patriots. Obviously, they're very high scoring. They've ran 100 red zone plays already this year. Um, 59% of those plays have been passes. That's also the highest volume in the league in terms of passing in the red zone. And Gronk's converted 33% of his red zone looks into scores. Now, that's slightly better uh, than the league average, which is right around 31% for tight ends, which is touch uh, percent of targets that turn into touchdowns for, for the position. But for Gronk, that's actually low. His career average is right around 49%. Like That's how good Gronk is. He converts half of his red zone targets into touchdowns. So we can actually, despite his above average conversion rate in the red zone this year, we can actually still expect some positive regression from Gronk. So you know we could see some Gronk spikes coming this week. Um, if you don't pay for Gronk, which do, it, do that at your own risk, I, I think the clear play here is Jordan Reed. Uh, we already talked about Kirk Cousins. Reed leads the league in uh, targets per game for tight ends. He's averaging nine targets, but he's priced 5800 on FanDuel and $4,600 on DraftKings, which prices him as the seventh and tenth tight end on those sites. Uh, we already talked about the positive correlation between offenses. This should be a very high-scoring game with uh, um, against the Saints with a Vegas total over 50. Um, after the Patriots... Uh, Washington has the second most red zone passes in the league. They've thrown 51 times in the red zone, and 20% of those have went to Reed, and he's converted 40% of those looks into touchdowns. So he's been very efficient in the red zone. And just like everywhere else in their secondary, 
Uh, New Orleans has been horrible against the passing game, against tight ends especially. They rank 31st in uh, schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to the position. Uh, if you want to go really, really cheap, maybe in a GPP, or you just have some lineup or players you love in cash and you need to save money, uh, Kyle Rudolph is priced very cheap, $4,700 on FanDuel, uh, $3,000 on DraftKings. You can always consider targeting the Raiders with your tight end. They're last in adjusted fantasy points allowed, and Kyle Rudolph um, is near the top of the league with double-digit red zone targets this year. Definitely. Uh, one guy I want to mention, and you know you know who it's going to be. But, uh, <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> you know Don't I'm going there, man. My guy, Gary Barnage, <laughs> Gary Barnkowski. And the reason I like him this week is Josh McCown is back. Um, yeah. Last week, so Josh McCown and Gary Barnage actually go back to Carolina. They they were together there, and they developed chemistry, even though they never really got to play. Um, but last week, uh, Barnage only had seven targets and caught two balls from uh, Johnny Manziel. But in the, in the previous uh, six games, he was over 10... Target, 10 targets or more three times. He had 100 yards or a touchdown or both in all six of those previous games with Josh McCown. And I think that's that's just really hard to ignore, uh, especially going against a Pittsburgh defense that does not defend the tight end well. So Gary Barnage, I think a lot of people will be off of him after the slow week last week. I will not be off of him. I will be playing him. On DraftKings especially, um, FanDuel's price is a little bit high for my taste. Um, but I, I think he's a decent um, pivot off Jordan Reed where you're not really losing a lot of value there um, from from Reed. So especially at a position that's just so volatile and hard to predict to begin with. So, Barnage! All right, you guys heard it here first. We're betting our bankrolls this week on Gary Barnage versus Jordan Reed. Hey man, if you, <laughs> if you if you put all right, let's 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 go. Let's see. You call them you call them Gary Barnkowski. Gary Barnkowski, okay. man. All right, let's let's see. Last five last five weeks alone, even with that, even with that that bad game, he's still uh, second in tight end fantasy points, man. So yeah, if you bet your bankroll on Gary Barn Gary Barnkowski these last five weeks, you'd be rich. I'm off. The, I'm off the Barnage hate train. I mean, <laughs> you can't deny it. You know, he's, he's been doing his thing. No, I mean, you know what it Sometimes is with I'm Cleveland, wrong. huh? Sometimes I'm wrong. Oh man, no, I'm. I'm not even ragging on you. I just, yeah. I just really like to point out because I think, I think yeah. a lot of people kind of feel the same way. You know, they, they're like Gary Barnage. You know, who is this guy? And you know, I'm not putting any money on him, but he's been really consistent. Uh, Cleveland has been doing a really good job of scheming him open and just. Putting him in spots to succeed. Yeah, he's he's a legit good play this week. Cool. Um, where are we at? Speaking of good plays, kickers, <laughs> the best um, plays, right? Uh, we'll quickly go through this. Justin Tucker is forty nine hundred against Jacksonville. We mentioned the Ravens twenty seven point team total that benefits all of their offensive players, especially the kicker. Uh, the Jaguars are last in four for fours, schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to kickers. So. Everything is just setting up for Justin Tucker this week. I, he's in the top three in the NFL in field goal attempts. If you're going min-price, you can go Greg Zerline or Chris Boswell. Zerline is going against Chicago. That's 29th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed. And St. Louis does have a 24.8 Vegas total, which is pretty high for them. Uh, but the 
problem with Zerwein is he has missed seven of his last 14 kicks. Now, uh, one or two of those were 60 yarders, so that's excusable, but he's been a little shaky lately. Uh, had a better game last week. And then Boswell, the Steelers do have a lower team total. It's only 22.8. But there could be a lot of field goals in that game because Cleveland can't really defend the run. They're not really a good defense, period. But the Steelers are going to be without Ben Roethlisberger. So they might not be able to punch the ball into the end zone, which would benefit Boswell. So those are the kickers, Tucker, Zerline, Boswell, Let's go right into defense. Who you got, TJ? Yeah, I'm actually glad we went over kickers this week because I'm lost without Josh Lambeau. I don't know what to do. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, he's my dude. Uh, defense... Oh, wait, wait. Actually, I got a quick story, a funny story <laughs> okay. for you. I got a funny story for you because uh, I remember remember the week you, you uh, I think you mentioned you had Andrew Franks and he got why, zero. Why you got to bring up old stuff? Okay, no, no. You'll, 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 you'll find this hilarious. So, uh I uh, I'm in I'm making my GPP lineups and uh, I like to dif- differentiate a kicker a little bit. So mm-hmm. I had I had Lambo and I had Boswell and uh, I was I wanted a third kicker. So I'm looking at the uh, four for four schedule adjusted metric and I see that the Raiders are um, pretty bad. Ag- not the Raiders, the Jaguars. Sorry, yeah, I just mentioned they're they're pretty bad against kickers. So I, I say, oh hey, Nick Folk. That that's a pretty good kicking option, and uh, about oh, two minutes okay. <laughs> two yeah. minutes into the Jets game, we just see Nick Folk <laughs> on the sideline. Apparently, he strained his like quad muscle in pregame warmups on yeah. kickoffs, and I completely missed it. And I had Folk in quite a few lineups. Thankfully, it didn't make too much of a difference because the lineups they either cashed anyway or they wouldn't have cashed. But I got a zero at in quite a few GPP lineups. Uh, because Nick Folk pulled his quad and ended up holding instead of kicking. Yeah, that was so. that was bad. <laughs> and that it was, was it's funny because it was literally like a twelve forty five p.m. pivot too. So yeah, it was. I, like... I missed. I actually missed that on a couple spots. So yeah, that. So yeah, thanks. I've I've took a zero kicker twice this year. Yeah, so there you we're go. Just having a blast. Uh, <laughs> all right, moving on to defense. Um, I I think you kind of have to start with Carolina. Uh, they're reasonably par- priced on Fanduel at forty seven hundred dollars. Uh, they are expensive on DraftKings at thirty three hundred dollars. But facing Tennessee, who ranks last in adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing opposing defenses, uh, Tennessee is projected under twenty points this week. We always want to look at those Vegas totals and. Combined, uh, Mettenberger and Mariota have a combined sack rate over 10%, uh, which is bottom three in the league. And Carolina has allowed the lowest completion percentage while also um, ranking in the top four in interception rate. So not only do we want that low total, we really want to target turnovers when we are seeking out a fantasy defense. So Carolina is probably my top play of the week. Um, if you're looking for a little bit of price saver, it's more of a pivot on FanDuel, but it's bef- definitely a price saver on DraftKings. Uh, the Eagles versus the versus the Dolphins. Eagles have been playing some pretty good defense despite giving up a pretty big game um, to a few Cowboys players last week. Uh, Eagles are $4,700 on FanDuel and $2,700 on DraftKings. Uh, home favorites, just like running backs, we want to look for those home favorites. The Eagles are favored by six at home. Uh, Miami wants to run the ball, ball with Lamar Miller, but uh, Philadelphia has been been 
pretty good against the run, like really good against the run. Uh, they allow the second lowest uh, running back yards per touch, uh, 4.2 yards per running back touch, and they've allowed the second lowest touchdown rate, uh, one of just two teams to allow a touchdown on less than 1% of running back touches. Just 0.9% of running back touches have turned into touchdowns against the Eagles. And then Philly also has the second highest interception rate in the league. They've picked off 3.8% of passes. So, again, turnovers, um, ability to stop the run. Ability to, you know, pick off the 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 quarterback. Those are all factors we really want to look for with our fantasy defense. Definitely. And uh, one other team I wanted to mention on defense, and I know you've talked about this before, TJ, is paying up to be contrarian at mm-hmm. defense. And the St. Louis Rams are the most expensive defense this week. They are at home. When they are yeah. at home this year, four home games, they have allowed 3.1 yards per rush, 5.7 yards per pass, and two touchdowns all year. Those two touchdowns came in week one. They haven't allowed an offensive touchdown in their last three yeah. home games. So, And the Bears are 29th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed. So... And the, and the Rams, I believe, are seven and a half point favorites right now. So, pay if you want to pay up to be contrarian. The Rams are probably the top defense of of the slate. You know, they just just based on their performance at home and their opponent. So that that's just something to keep in mind there. Uh, let's move on into our DFS theory segment today. We will talk about. The difference between 50-50s, double-ups, and head-to-head cash games, and how that can affect your strategy. So, first, we'll lay out the advantages and the disadvantages of each type, and then we'll go into some ramifications. So, head-to-heads, some advantages are you can hand-pick your opponent's uh, winning Percentage in head-to-head better reflects the true quality of your lineup. So if you have a lineup in the 75th percentile, you'll win about 75% of your games. Um, And it raises the floor of your profit or loss potential. So basically meaning you can't – if you're in a head-to-head and you have a terrible lineup, you finish in the the, the top – the bottom 20% – you still may win around 20% of your head-to-head. So it, it raises the floor on your loss, your potential losses in a given day. Um, but some disadvantages are, by the same token, it lowers the ceiling of your profits because if you have a lineup in the 80th percentile, you're still going to lose 20% of the time, whereas if you put that into a double-up or 50-50, you'd obviously cash in everything. And... Uh, you can have a great score and lose in a head-to-head, so that's also something to keep in mind. In any given head-to-head, somebody could outplay you even if you have a great score. 50-50s. The advantages of those are you only need to beat 50% of the field, and usually there are lower scores that are necessary to cash in a 50-50 than in a head-to-head that's true for FanDuel and DraftKings from the data I've seen. I can't speak for the other sites, but I would guess it would be the same. Uh, but I can't confirm that. But I have seen the data on FanDuel and DraftKings, and the minimum score needed or the average score needed to win a head-to-head is more than the average score needed to win a 50-50. So that's something to think about because both of them have the same uh, payout. And 
<clears throat> some disadvantages of a 50-50 are you'll have a lower floor, as I just mentioned, on your profit potential for that because if you have a bad lineup and it doesn't finish in the top 50%, it won't cash at all. So if you multi-entered a lineup into a 50-50 and uh, it, it wasn't good, you won't be looking at any profits. Or if you just miss the cutoff, you also won't be looking at any profit. Double ups. The advantages of those are you double your money if you beat the cash line as opposed to a 50-50 where you're doubling your money minus the rake. In a double up, you're straight up doubling your money. And you... A disadvantage, though, is you have to beat 56% of the field rather than 50% of the field. And again, just like with 50-50s, a bad lineup will net you zero cash. And yeah, the rake is higher. Um, So those are just some things about head-to-head 50-50s and double-ups. And so... TJ, you want to go into just some some strategies uh, for each game type uh, based on those advantages and disadvantages. Sure, and and quickly, just to, just that note on on double ups. Um, you know, not only do you have to beat more opponents, like you mentioned, you have to beat fifty six percent of the field. But I just want to reiterate what you said. There is a higher rake, so not only do you have to beat more players, but more money's being taken out of the prize pool in those double ups. So the advantage is a bit of a mirage that that you get to, you know, double your money compared to head to heads and fifty fifties, where it's slightly less than double your money. Um, the expected value, which I get in, which I'll get into in a little bit, is actually a little bit lower uh, despite that higher prize. Um, so. I mean, some strategies for each. Your your strategy in picking these is going to be a combination of three factors. It's going to depend on your risk aversion, which means you know how how much are you willing to lose, how much upside versus downside do you want to take on, um, how many lineups are you playing? Are you playing one lineup or are you playing multiple cash lineups? Um, and then uh, just how high your volume is if you're a low volume player or high volume player. So I'll just go through the different game types and just touch on those uh, those factors. Um, like you mentioned in head-to-heads, you can handpick opponents, um, especially on FanDuel. Uh, if you click on an op- opponent on FanDuel, it shows you exactly how many wins they have in each contest type, in each, uh, I'm sorry, in each sport. So obviously the the lower amount of wins, the less experienced they are, more likely the better chance you're going to have against that player. On DraftKings, they have a matchup blocker, which um, you can avoid opponents, but you can also post your games, and you can limit it to playing just one opponent at a time. So one player can't come in and take all of your head-to-head games. You end up just playing everything against one really, really good player. You can set it so you only have to play one player each time, and then you're going to get an even more accurate reflection of your lineup quality. Um, If you're posting your own head-to-head games, you can stagger them a bit. So like on FanDuel, where there is no matchup blocker and you can't limit it to one opponent, uh, you can start on Tuesday and post. If you want, say you want to post 100 games, Tuesday morning you can post five. Tuesday night you can post five more. Um, you know, Wednesday, and you can just keep going throughout the week, five at a time, so that the likelihood of one player coming in and taking all your games is very low just because that user probably isn't going to be sitting in the lobby every time you post your game. Um, and then, again, this is if you're only using one lineup, this is the best format. Now, the reason that's the case is because 
even if you're playing against, say you're playing against 50 opponents, an, an extreme example, if you're running out 50 different lineups, those lineups can theoretically lose to all 50 opponents who are going to have different lineups. If you have one lineup, you're going to get a pretty accurate reflection of your lineup quality against those 50 opponents. If it scores in the 80th percentile, you're probably going to beat 80 of those opponents. So throwing a ton of different lineups into a ton of head-to-heads is still going to be uh, you know, relatively high variance even though you're playing a higher volume. Uh, now on the flip side, if you are playing multiple lineups, then you you can throw them into 50-50s because you're just playing against a whole player pool. Um, this is better if you're playing multiple lineups so you don't uh, risk ruin with just one bad lineup. If if you're only playing one lineup, one game, you throw it into a 50-50, you know, there's a very high chance that you can uh, you lose all that money that week just because if you finish in the 49th percentile, you're going to lose that game. And then, again, if you're playing low volume, uh, if you're only say you're only playing five bucks a week, you're just kind of dabbling in DFS. You build one cash lineup. Um, even if that lineup finishes in the 90th percentile, if you just throw that game into one head-to-head, there's a chance you run into one lineup that finishes in the top 10%, and now you lose that money. If you put that money or that lineup into a 50-50, that 90th percentile lineup is going to win every single time. And then double ups, we we already kind of touched on the downside of them just because you have to beat more players. Uh, There's a higher rate taken out. You just want to make sure that, you know, you you don't have to finish in the top 50%. You have to finish in the top 44%. So you have to have a better lineup. You have to have a better, a higher skill level at building cash lineups. Um, If you aren't confident in that, then you might want to stick to to some 50-50s and you need a little more upside in that uh, that double-up lineup. So again, playing multiple lineups and double-ups versus head-to-heads is is probably a better strategy. Um, There are a few expected value points, math points that I want to get into, but Chris, do you have any other points on, on the specific cash games that you wanted to touch on? Yeah, I thought something you mentioned was about you probably need a little more upside in in, in double ups and yeah. also in head to heads you need you need a little more double up yeah. um upside excuse me and that's just because in head to heads you, you usually need a higher score than 50-50s to win so mm-hmm. you're going to need a little more upside so it even though we always talk about maximizing our floor in cash games i think it is something to think about in head to heads especially if you're deciding between two players and jonathan bales actually wrote about this in uh, a 4 for 4 uh, column i don't know if it was i believe it was either this week or the week before but it's it's in the dfs subscription it's called bales goes deep and he basically wrote about the fact that um sometimes you you'll need a little more upside in your head-to-head games and you can be okay with if you're going back and forth between two players maybe rostering that guy with the higher upside even if Mm -hmm. maybe his projection is a tiny bit lower just because you'll be rewarded for that upside uh in in head-to-head contest uh you you'll probably win a few more whereas in a 50 50 you won't once you hit that cash line, right, that upside really doesn't matter anymore. So that's just something. That's a really good point. And then the yeah. same thing with um with double ups. It's fifty six being in the top forty four percentile versus the top fiftieth percentile doesn't sound like a lot, but over a large number of trials and a large sample size, you're going to need higher scores. So that's another situation where maybe you do need 
a little more upside and you'd be a little less cautious than you would in a 50-50. I think a 50-50 is really a place where you can be uh, the most uh, cautious. So that that was just my point. Yeah, no, that's a really good point on the upside, especially in the head-to-heads. I mean, there's monetary value to be gained to put a lineup out that finishes in the 80th percentile versus the 55th percentile mm-hmm. in head-to-heads. You're going to win that many more head-to-heds, whereas in a, a 50-50, 55 percentile wins the same amount as the 80th percentile. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe an example of that is you have you know, two of your top values or a quarterback or wide receiver on the same team, you don't want to take on that risk in a 50-50. Maybe in a head-to-head, those values are so great that you don't avoid that stack and you, you do take on a little more downside. So that's a very quick example of something uh, that you might consider. Um, I just want to touch on a, on a couple math points really quick. Um, if you're not a, a math person or you don't want to get too heavy into math, you might want to slow it down or rewind it. But uh, specifically p- comparing double-ups to 50-50s, uh, it's very important to understand the difference in, in break-even point uh, bet- and expected value of a game. Uh, so the break-even point, which is how often you have to win, is lower in double ups than it is in 50 50. Mm-hmm. So when you hear that, you might think, oh, well, that's a better investment. You, you don't have to win as often. And it, I mean, it makes sense to double up. So if you lose one, you lose $5. If you win one, you win $10. You're at zero. Your break even is 50%. Uh, the problem is, like we mentioned before, you have to have. You have to beat a higher percent of the field. So even though your your winning percentage is needed is lower, uh, the amount of people you have to beat is higher. Um, in a 50-50 in head-to-head, your break-even percentage is actually uh, 56% because of the rate. Um, your win rate needed is a little higher, but you have to beat a smaller percent of the field because the rake is taken out of your actual winnings. Um, so the easiest way to illustrate this point is in terms of expected value. Expected value is, uh, in, in its simplest form, it's how, how often you expect to win uh, multiplied by the winnings. Um, so in a $5 head-to-head, if you have a, a lineup that finishes in the 55th percentile, you expect that to win 55% of the time. So the winnings are $9 for a $5 head-to-head. Um, your expected value for that 55th percentile lineup is $4.95. So you're still expecting to take a slight loss, but you're getting your money back. In a 50-50, your, uh, your lineup that finishes in the 55th percentile uh, your expectation for that lineup is $9. If it's in the 55th percentile, you're going to win 100% of the time. So you actually have a way higher expected value for your 55th percentile lineup in a 50-50. In a double up, even though you're beating 55% of the field, your expected value for that lineup is $0. You have to be in the 56th percentile to win in a double up. So that same lineup has massively different expected values. Even though your break-even percentage in terms of times you need to win is way lower for your double up, your expected value of that lineup is is exponentially lower. It's zero. The downside is massive. Um, so for that reason, I really encourage new players and even good players to uh, put most or even all of their money in head-to-heads and, and uh, 50-50s. And really, those double ups are really a poor investment. It's it's kind of a, a very small microcosm of, of the game that uh, sucks you in on the site that's posted to the top. You know, we see those massive prize pools with the big dollar amount, the millionaire makers, and those are intriguing. Well, on a smaller scale, those double ups are intriguing because you're going to win a little more money. The downside's massive. The expected value's 
exponentially lower. Um, so for me personally, I play um, 100% of head-to-heads in my cash games just because of how I approach DFS. But for newer players, based on your risk aversion, your volume, your number of lineups, uh, anywhere from like 85% to 90% of your money in play each week in cash games with 85 to 90% of that cash game money in head-to-heads is probably a good approach. Um, and then the re- remaining, I would suggest just in 50-50s, but if you do want to play double-ups, I'd suggest a very small percentage of your money in those. Definitely. Some really great points. And I think just to uh, close out, one thing you mentioned was know your skill level. Yes. You know, if if you're playing a lot of 50-50s and you're constantly, consistently, excuse me, finishing in the higher than the top 44%, then I think it's a lot better investment if you want to go switch to double-ups. But right. you know, if you're kind of towing that line, you know, when you're just starting out, if you're still trying to gauge, and it's really hard to gauge yourself in NFL because it's only 17 weeks of the regular yeah. season. But if if you're confident, you know, then, then I think you can increase your exposure to double-ups. But, you know, like TJ said, there's a massive difference. And, you know, that's something you really have to be aware of um, before you decide to really invest heavily in it because i know i hear some people just saying you know when they think of cash games they talk they, they basically say double ups are synonymous with that and it's yeah not actually exactly the same as a head-to-head or a 50 50 so great yeah. great great points there that about does it for us uh, once again, at the top of the show, I mentioned we will be giving away a free 4 for 4 football DFS subscription. To win, go on iTunes, type in DFS MVP, and rate and review the podcast. And next week, a winner will be chosen at random from everyone who rated and reviewed. And the winner will be announced at the beginning of next week's podcast, at which point they can contact us. And claim their free DFS subscription. So, thank you very much for listening to DFS MVP Daily Fantasy Sports. Most valuable podcast presented by 4 for 4 Football. I do want to urge you guys to support the DFS movement. Sign the petitions. You know, even if you are not from New York, if you like and respect uh, my work, I'm actually in New York. So that's something. And then just, you know, this could have ramifications across the whole industry. Your state could be next. So please support any way you can. If there's a petition or just a retweet or anything you can do to help, uh, please do. Um, And that would just be great. And hopefully everything works out in the end. Um, but you can find TJ on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Raybon. Good luck in week 10. Let's get this shmoney. Shmoney. Start spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York